Live Above the Noise, the Choiceful Family Project. Welcome to Live Above the Noise, the Choiceful Family Project. I'm your host, Wayne Yurcha, and this podcast is a step-by-step action plan to help parents protect and prepare their children for the future. Thank you for joining us. This is episode number 24, and I'm here with my podcast partner, developmental and educational psychologist and kids media expert, Dr. Rob Ryer. Now, in this episode, we're going to continue our conversation with Julie Herzog, director of the Pacer National Bullying Prevention Center. Julie is a nationally recognized leader in the area of bullying prevention, and she's been featured on CNN, NBC Nightly News, People, The Huffington Post, and many other major media outlets. In our last episode with Julie, we discussed a number of topics, such as fostering kindness, acceptance, and inclusion as an antidote to bullying. And we ended our conversation by discussing power styles, how they impact children's development, what parents need to know about power styles, and how they relate to bullying. To start this episode, we want to talk about power a little more in this context. And uh, Rob, I know you have a question for Julie that concerns how younger children might understand power as it relates to bullying. Julie, do you think kids can get the idea at a younger age that bullying is really the opposite of power? It's the lack of power that shows up as a form of power. Is that something that makes sense at all to a younger child? I think high school kids could get that, but I'm wondering if younger kids could appreciate that idea that it's weakness disguised as power. I think they can. If you see that, that's been portrayed more and more in movies. And part of that is just societally, how are we positioning bullying? I think there was points in our society where we put a certain value on it, or if we certainly accepted it. And so some of that, again, is just what sort of messages are being portrayed about bullying behavior. And in recent years, it's been much more negative. In fact, kids these days, if they're called a bully, I think they really take it to heart and they look at that as a very negative thing. Or a generation ago, they probably wouldn't have given it much thought. That brings us sort of to one of the points that is part of what we call the inner IQ. And for listeners of our podcast, we talk about the inner IQ and recommend that parents listen to those episodes. But the inner IQ is, it's not IQ in the sense that you hear it spoken in schools or that you're normally used to. The inner IQ is inner integral qualities. And when we talk about protecting and preparing kids for the future, we talk about this inner IQ as being something that's absolutely necessary for children to develop in the world of distraction, distortion, disruption, and overload. And that inner IQ includes nine dimensions. The first one, self-identity. I can see how somebody who's in a situation where, say, they are bullied or become a bully, their self-identity is directly related to that. And it would seem to me incredibly important that as early as a stage as possible, that we try to redirect that sort of identity so it's not dependent on what either somebody does to you to make you feel bad about yourself or what you're doing to yourself in that standpoint. Julie, do you have a thought on that? Well, when someone is experiencing that hurt or harm or humiliation, especially at certain developmental stages in their life, they do start to listen to those messages. 
it's so easy for us to remember that even if there's 95 positive things said about us out of 100, you dwell a little bit on those negative messages that you hear. It becomes incredibly important to train yourself to accept a little bit of that inner dialogue where you're maybe not feeling the self-confidence piece, but you want to be talking about that. You want to be processing it because I feel like kids who aren't talking about if they're being bullied or they're not talking about some of those negative feelings that they're having about themselves, that they start to, you know, they start to be released in really odd ways. Like their behavior can sometimes become more erratic. You know, they might act out with anger just because they're keeping everything stuffed inside. And so a lot of it is, again, allowing kids a safe space to talk about bullying because so much of the time they don't. You know, kids aren't telling their parents. They aren't telling another adult or, or someone that they trust. And so then the emotions start to come out in ways that just aren't appropriate. Kids sometimes start to bully other kids because they've been bullied or they start to act out with self-harm or they become depressed or they develop eating disorders. And so Again, just that piece of recognizing, you know, goes back to that awareness piece, like, what are these messages that I need to be internalizing? What messages do I need to externalize and be talking about and helping kids recognize the difference? And do you have advice for parents, I mean, who want to talk to their kids, maybe their kids are resistant in terms of talking to them about it? Is there advice that you can give parents in that regard? Yeah, after having done this for so many years, and we talk to a lot of parents, we're not a helpline, but we do have parents who contact us and we never turn anybody away. But we hear, again, universally very early on, we would hear that the most typical advice, and kids would tell us this too, the most typical advice when a child was coming to a parent and telling them about bullying would be, the first thing parents would say was, oh, just ignore it. And we always said that had to be so devastating for kids to hear because number one, it takes a lot of courage to come and tell somebody that you're being bullied because there's just a lot of social nuances around it. And especially for boys, you know, to talk about your feelings is very important. And so if you're being told, oh, just ignore it, we always say if they could just ignore it, they would have absolutely done that already because nobody wants to be bullied. If it was that simple of a solution, we wouldn't have to have a National Bullying Prevention Center. The other advice that was being given by parents was, oh, fight them back or do it back. And again, not helpful because so much about bullying is about a power imbalance. It's about the person bullying that has much more power over the other person, whether it's physical power or whether it's just social power. And social power can be about being in a more elevated social status group. And so to fight back, usually the people who are being bullied at this point in time when they're being bullied don't have the capacity to do that. So instead, we're telling parents, when your kids come to you, the first thing you want to do is say, number one, you don't deserve what's happening to you. Say that to them right away, because oftentimes kids, by the time they're coming and telling you about it, their self-esteem may be shattered and they need to hear that it's not about them. And the second thing is you want to say that we're going to be here to help you. And also what we encourage at that point in time is to get the story. Let the child tell their story. And as parents, try to listen without judgment, which is not easy to do because you want to jump in right away and try and fix it for them. But let them tell their story and listen without judgment. And once they're able to do that, what we really strongly recommend is that you say to them, how can this situation be different? 
And the reason that we encourage that statement is because we want to give kids back some of that power that's been taken away from them. And we want them to know that they're being part of the solution. And I don't want that to be confused with that we're asking kids to fix this, but that we want their voice to be involved, that we want them to have a say in what's going to happen next. And so I think that that's just a very important piece. And the next step that you want to take then is to ask, well, how can we make this happen? And what you're doing with those steps is making sure that the child feels that, number one, they're being heard. Number two, they have your support. Number three, there's somebody that cares. Because for so many kids who are being bullied, they're not telling anybody. And those are the situations which usually only get worse. And oftentimes for parents, you want to fix it. But a lot of times bullying situations don't get fixed right away. But the most important piece that you can do as a parent is to have your child know that they've got you in their corner. And that oftentimes just means the world and can help them emotionally, even if the bullying doesn't stop right away. Just knowing that they have that parental support is is huge. What is your understanding between the male and female parent with regard to what, you know, because dads, most dads are going to come at it, I would guess, based on their experience a different way than mom. So it seems to me that it would take some kind of an understanding and communication between mom and dad about the appropriate way to go about this. So what is your experience in parenting of the gender differences with regard to how a male would react and how a female would react? I would say that most kids, when they do tell a parent And again, this is just strictly anecdotal. I don't have data or research to support this. But they're going to the parent that they feel the most comfortable saying this information to. And so it's never as formal as, hey, mom and dad, sit down. I've got something to tell you. It's coming out in very sideways. You know, maybe they're sitting in the backseat of the car and one of the parents is driving them to the soccer game. And they start saying, I just don't want to go. And maybe the story comes out during that time that there's been inappropriate behavior on the soccer, you know, in the the locker room or something. And so maybe I wouldn't do that in front of a parent that they don't necessarily feel comfortable with. And so my instinct there is when they first try to tell somebody they're going to go to that parent they trust the most and that they can probably anticipate a bit what that parent might be saying. And I think, Julie, it's probably very important then, isn't it, that the parents have a conversation about this themselves and get on the same page so that they both understand just as well what's going on and how they can reinforce each other in these conversations and things, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And Rob, you know, going back to what you were saying, I I had a conversation with someone the other day, and she's growing now, but even... We were talking about who we did go to parents when we were younger, and both of us said we went to our dads with certain things. Mm. And so, you know, some of that, if we think about just the, I think you were referring to boys telling their dads, but it's also interesting. There's some things that maybe girls don't want to tell their moms that they would prefer to tell their dads. And so, again, I think it goes back to what we have found is kids are usually going to the parent that they trust, but how we try to position our materials to is for kids to talk to an adult that they trust. Because a lot of times kids just aren't feeling comfortable going to their parents because they're afraid they're going to overreact. And so 
I think that's probably the best thing for parents to know is that's one of kids' concerns is that their parents are just going to overreact. And when I say overreact, they A, think that they're going to jump to fix it. B, they think they're going to call the school and make all sorts of demands. C, they're afraid they're going to call the person who's doing the bullying. They're going to call their parents. And we find that those are all things that kids are not wanting their parents to do. And that links to some hesitation in telling parents. Well, I do want to tell our listeners, in case they haven't listened to episode 17 that we have, it's on something called motivational interviewing. And it may just provide some more tools as to effective ways to talk to your kids about bullying or anything. But I just wanted to point that out that if you haven't listened to episode 17, you might find some further resources about talking to children there. Julie, is there anything else sort of that comes to mind that you want to tell parents about bullying? Sure. I would add to just as a follow-up to our conversation, as kids are moving out of middle school and into high school, one of the things that can make it really hard for kids to tell a parent or an adult is that the bullying might involve a lot of personal details. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can give you an example. This will be very generic, but say, for example, that your child was at a party on a Saturday night and something inappropriate happened at the party and they're being bullied because of it. You know, maybe somebody took an inappropriate picture or they just did something that was outside the norms of acceptable behavior. We'll just say that. And then somebody took a photograph of it and that photograph is being circulated. That's a really hard thing to come and tell your mom and dad Mm -hmm. that that is happening. And so again, you know, when we talk about reasons that kids don't tell is because it may be, you know, they also have to disclose a lot of other details. And so that part about trying to listen without judgment is so important because you got to remember the place where your kid is at that time. Not only did they have this behavior that they probably regret, but then they're being bullied because of it and ostracized. And so again, you know, there's going to be lots of reasons that kids don't want to tell and it maybe has nothing to do with the relationship that you have. It might be something totally different. So again, kind of just stepping back and trying to listen as impartially as you can and keeping in mind that you as a parent, your end goal is that you want to take action to keep your child safe and always just be thinking of that as your universal game. And we always say, number one, support your child in any way that you can. And the second thing is be working with the school or the social media providers. And so kind of make that your hierarchical steps. Are schools getting any better at dealing with this? Or is this mainly an issue that really is left to the parent and the child? Where are schools in this whole process? We say it's a cooperative process because if you think about bullying, it doesn't happen in, in isolation. It happens because of relationships and most relationships for kids, the predominant place is at school. And if you look at our bullying prevention laws and policies across the nation, most of them are directed at schools and what schools should do. And so schools are very much involved in bullying these days, very aware of it, very aware of what their responsibilities are. And they take it seriously. And many of those bullying prevention laws and policies include what schools need to do if it happens online as well, because they know that if something happened over a weekend, whether it happened online, where it's going to get played out is when the kids come back to school that the week. So schools are definitely taking action and they're a great resource for parents to go to and to be helping. And if you think about it with your younger kids, they're seeing 
the relationship that your child has with their peers. They have some insights that you maybe don't even have as a parent because we get to see our kids doing their homework. We get to see them interacting with siblings and neighbors, but we don't get to see them interacting with other peers in a communal situation. And so that becomes where it's critically important to be talking with your teacher from an early age and you know, and asking about those social relationships just as much as you're asking about academics because you can really help set the stage for making sure that your child is equipped to deal with everything from conflict to bullying and beyond. So I'm sure that this would be variable, but if a parent was going to go to a school, do they go to the teacher, would you recommend? Do they go to the principal? Do they go to the guidance counselor? Where do they start? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, as you said, it's variable. With the bullying prevention and laws and policies, most of the time the process is written into the school's policy about how to report a bullying situation. But I would encourage, especially from a young age, that you're just talking, you're having those communications with a child's teacher so that that becomes more about prevention than intervention. Mm-hmm. And prevention is really saying, hey, you know, I think it would be, again, I'll go back to my example of my son, David. We did a lot of prevention and it was really having conversations with the teachers from early on, like, what can we do if inappropriate behavior is happening to David? And that way, if there was concerns, it was actually the teachers who were contacting me and saying, hey, Julie, just want you to be aware. And then we would work out a plan about what we were going to do. But if you need to report a bullying situation, first thing I would do is direct everybody to their school policy to look at how to best do that. Who is it that you contact at the school? I was wondering, Julie, because I was looking at a couple books over the weekend on bullying, and I was especially interested in the, the phrase that was used in one of the books I was looking at is become bully-proof. And I thought, boy, that's an interesting phrase, bully-proofing. But they listed nine distinct techniques for bully-proofing. And I'm wondering, in your experience, does something stand out or does one or two things for parents stand out? Because they listed problem-solving and deep breathing and relaxation and resilience training and a gratitude journal and, and a pact and all kinds of stuff as the solutions that could be applied at this point. So there's some one or two things that you would say out of all the experience, here's what I think has been consistent over time, both in my life and with schools that we know works the best. Great question, Rob. I don't think I've ever been asked that before. I'm going to say, and I'm thinking about younger kids right now, and let me give some thought to say, for example, if it happens in high school, because I also think it's interesting. You could go your whole school career and not be bullied until maybe you get in ninth grade. And so it's a little bit different based on the developmental stages. But I would say for younger kids, the most effective thing that we can be doing, especially as parents, is to be explaining exactly what bullying is. And I would go so far as to explain the difference for kids between what is conflict and what is bullying and how they can handle behavior that makes them uncomfortable and empowering them to know that if they've tried the strategies that have been outlined and they're not effective, that that's when you would love for them to come and talk to you so that you can figure out together what's going to be your next steps. 
I would say universally, that's what I would encourage, especially for our young kids. You at Pacer have a definition of that that I think is really helpful. Could you give our parents what your definition is or the difference between that and conflict so that if they were talking to their kids, they can use that? Yeah, in fact, we do a whole video series too for parents that I would encourage them to watch called Pacer Talks About Bullying. And one of the most popular videos has been about conflict versus bullying. And first, I'll just give the definition of bullying as how we use it, because there is a lot of variance with it. And we always say, you know, definitions vary greatly. We're not giving this as a legal definition, because even within state laws, there may be a bit of nuance. But bullying is, is, it's an intentional behavior. Again, there's that intent piece that hurts or harms or humiliates. And we use a student because we really look at K through 12 that hurts the student either physically or emotionally and that it can happen at school, in the community or online. And an important piece of it that we've talked about a lot today is those bullying have more either social or physical power. And the other important piece is that the person targeted by it has difficulty stopping the behavior. The majority of definitions also say that the behavior typically needs to be repeated. And one of the things that we have added just anecdotally, because we've asked kids their own definition of bullying, and again, kids aren't looking at bullying as a law, And what we've come up with is that students will often describe bullying, and again, paraphrasing this, but bullying is when someone makes you feel less about who you are as a person. And I think that that's really so telling because you can ask kids about the definition of bullying and they'll parrot back what they're told at school, but it really comes down to, for them, about how it makes them feel. And I think that's such a critical piece because bullying, again, is just about tearing somebody down. And we talked a little bit about the short-term effects, but kids are just subjected to that loss of self-esteem, self-confidence, loss of grades at school. It has incredible impact in them. And in the long-term effect, if you put 100 adults into a room and you ask them the nickname that they were called in high school, 95 of them are going to be able to tell you what it was and they'll probably say it with a little bit of heartache too, because it probably wasn't a very nice name. So that's the definition of bullying. And if we want to just look at what conflict is, we talk a lot about that because it's important that we understand conflict because conflict happens. And we say conflict is normal. That's We're all going to have conflict in our life to some extent. And Conflict is just basically the way we frame it to kids. It can be a disagreement. You're not always going to agree. So it's a disagreement or argument, and both sides are allowed to express their views. And the biggest difference, though, is that there's equal power between those who are involved. And so somebody's not feeling uncomfortable when there's conflict. I mean, it may be uncomfortable, but they're not feeling unsafe is probably a better word. And also what happens in conflict, if somebody crosses a line and they're realizing they're hurting the other person, they'll generally stop their behavior. They'll have remorse over it. They'll recognize it. They'll say, you know, I didn't mean to do that. There'll maybe be an apology or an acknowledgement. But with bullying, when they realize they're hurting someone, they still continue their behavior. And is there any 
last thing, Julie, that you want to talk about with regard to the organization, because I, I think your organization just does such wonderful work. People need to go to your website, be aware of the resources, use them. Can you tell us a little bit about the resources available to parents and families at your organization and on your website? We, we appreciate you saying that. And we put a lot of work and a lot of thought into our resources. And we provide resources for educators. We provide resources for parents and also for the kids and teens. And so our primary URL, if you want to see what we have to offer, go to pacer.org slash bullying. And so pacer is P-A-C-E-R dot org, because again, we're a nonprofit slash bullying. And there you'll land on the National Bullying Prevention Center. So the National Bullying Prevention Center is part of our bigger umbrella, which is PACER Center. And we are based in Minneapolis. And when you come onto our website, we also have two audience-specific websites that you can access. And the first is Teens Against Bullying, which is for middle and high school students. So again, it's very audience-specific and it's relevant. And there's teen stories on there and advice. And everything is written from the perspective of it's created by teens and for teens. And the other one is our Kids Against Bullying website, which is for elementary school students, which is much more age-appropriate. The text is shorter, the concepts, the, the colors are brighter. It's a little more user-friendly. Those are two great resources. And we also have a module within our site just for parents, and you'll find it right on the homepage, and it's called What Parents Should Know About Bullying that has a lot of the information that we talked about today, but in more detail. Well, thank you so much. I mean, you've been a wealth of information, and I know our our listeners and everybody who uh, goes to your site are really going to appreciate all this. So once again, we wanted to thank you for joining us. It's been such a pleasure. Well, thank you both, and I appreciate the opportunity as well. And in our next episode, Rob and I will be talking with New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Tina Payne Bryson. Dr. Bryson is the co-author with Dr. Dan Siegel of The Whole Brain Child, No Drama Discipline, and The Yes Brain. She's a child development specialist and a pediatric and adolescent psychotherapist who conducts workshops for parents, educators, and clinicians all over the world. In this episode, we'll be discussing insights from Tina's new book, The Power of Showing Up, which focuses on four building blocks of a child's healthy development, which Dr. Bryson and Dr. Siegel call the four S's, safe, seen, soothed, and secure. We're really looking forward to the conversation. And just as a reminder, you can listen to us and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and many other podcast providers. So until next time, thank you for listening and live above the noise. Hello, everyone. If you'd like to get our email update about new episodes, tips and tools, and all the latest information, please sign up for our Noise Watch update on our liveabovethenoise.com website.